0: and when i started in formula 1 i looked at the most difficult tracks to win on and they are invariably the tracks that are very difficult to set up for and there was monaco because monaco's ridiculous it's got it's got so many hairpin bends where all you want is mechanical grip and no downforce at all right. and then you've got the curve through the tunnel and that flat out chicane in those days where you need all the downforce So you don't know whether to set the car up soft and mechanical for grip or to be stable through the tunnel. So that was a nightmare. Today's episode is brought to you in
1: part by Off The Record. We love Off The Record of the seven people who work at Westside Collector Car Storage. Two of them have used Off The Record in the last week. (laughs) Off The Record connects you with a qualified legal representative a lawyer, in the jurisdiction that you got a ticket in. When you get pulled over, you don't say nothing. You keep your mouth shut, you hear? Keep your mouth shut. Don't admit to anything. Take the ticket. Call off the record. That's what you do. Off the record will then assign an attorney to fight that ticket on your behalf. You don't have to go to court. And odds are you don't even hear from the court once you send that ticket to Off the Record. They have an amazing success rate. I get DMs all the time from people on Instagram, emails from people who say they used Off the Record and they made that ticket go away. It's delightful. Their success rate is incredible. Their coverage for the United States is incredible. And if you go to offtherecord.com slash TST and make an account – or download the app, the Off the Record app, and use code TST10 on the Off the Record app, 10% off all legal services, at least through the end of 2024. I don't see why this code wouldn't get renewed. We signed up with them for three years, but um, I'm sure the code will work past 2024 once we get there. But at least for now, this code, TST10 on the Off The Record app or offtherecord.com slash TST is good for 10% off all legal services you book with Off The Record. Make the account now, save it in your phone. That way, you know, if you get pulled over, you know Off The Record's got your back. You don't have to panic. All right, folks, today we have a special treat. Professor Gordon Murray is calling us from his home in England, probably wearing an amazing Hawaiian shirt because that's what he does. He was one of our favorite guests last year in 2022, and uh, now he is here promoting the new T-33 Spider roofless version of his naturally aspirated v12 supercar from gordon murray automotive he will almost certainly tell us some incredible stories that will blow our minds let's thank him for his time and listen up to gordon murray on the Spoken tire podcast we are live sir thank you for joining us again
0: pleasure man pleasure
1: and uh, wow, uh, I haven't seen you. I saw you for like forty-five seconds at Pebble Beach at the Quail, uh, where I got to see the T fifty and T thirty-three in person. And wow, stunners those cars! They were just fantastic.
0: Thank you. Uh,
1: it was. Uh, they were um, not that I was surprised, but uh, they're quite petite. They're uh, they're rather small cars, which is in your the spirit of what you've done in the past.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, um, we're all about the driving experience, and, and the footprint uh, is, is a big part of the, the footprint and the weight, of course. Sure.
1: It's something that we, we talk about a lot. The roads have not gotten any wider. The roads are the same. In our country, they've been the same for the last 50 years. In <laughs> your country, they've been the same for the last 500 years, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and uh but you're you know you're tall. are you six foot you're over six feet? you're like i'm six foot
0: I'm six foot four yeah
1: yeah, so so a, a tall man in a, in a, in a
0: small car, it's a tough challenge, right? It is from a packaging point of view, but um I always i obviously always make cars that I can fit in, even something like the light car company rocket I did in ninety three um I had one journalist in that there was six eight. Oh, that's yeah. Whoa, that's
1: see, that's good. I mean, that's I, I think it, it's important. A that the 99th uh, the the, the 99th percentile of us of us drivers can fit in these cars. Um, there is, of course, a correlation between height and wealth uh, ability to afford Gordon's cars uh, directly. <laughs> um, but uh, ergonomically, um, do you kind of do you start from the inside out
0: in order to make yourself fit in those cars? Yeah, definitely. We, um, we we don't operate like a normal OEM, like a normal manufacturer at all in our design, uh, engineering and development process, where absolutely we turn that on its head. So typically, it's the marketing people and the accountants that decide on the next uh, model of a platform. And then the car is styled. And that's shown to the board and the shareholders and the public as some sort of show. And... Uh, And then the poor engineers have got to try and turn it into something you can use Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't do that we do a total parallel design activity so we do um this the packaging first before we even think about styling i've already got the shape of the car i want and the ethos in my head anyway um so i know what that's going to be i mean it's handy actually being doing the styling and the engineering because you've only got yourself to argue with. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, um, not, it's not designed by committee. It's uh, designed yeah. by, by Gordon. Uh. So we to... <laughs> That's why he's on the name of the company. Yeah. The, 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 pack, the package is done first. So we, we, we get, and that, of course, includes ergonomics. It includes all the, um, we do early crash studies for making sure we've got head clearance on all various crashes and stuff. We even do basic aerodynamics, or what we call block models, on CFD. And we make sure the car's um, manufacturable. And then we start styling. Oh. Uh, so we complete the other way around.
1: Well, when, you have a, when you've got a three-seater right because you're you the driver is in the center, you actually get a little more leg room there, right because the front wheel wells don't protrude into that space as much when you've got the driver on the left side or is the t thirty three left hand and right hand drive or is it just left hand drive? yeah both both, yeah. both so either then you end up in a situation where you could have a sort of offset pedal box how do you how do you work around that or is that just a fact of life
0: so uh a little bit of both again. It's um, the early cars from the 80s. The supercars were dreadful. You know, <laughs> and when I rather, yeah. rather in, infamously, before I did the F1, I drove the current batch. You know, which was sort of F40, 959 Porsche, uh, the Bugatti, Bugatti EB110, the XJ220 Jag, those sort of things, and the pedal offsets on those and things like Countach um, were just dreadful. I mean, they really were, and that is—you're absolutely right. That was the wheel arch intrusion. So very, very wide front tires uh, encroaching on, on on the on the pedal box. And one of the reasons I chose to do central driving position was to exorcise all the bad stuff. Mm. Uh, and uh, you can move the driver forward ten inches, two hundred and fifty millimetres, relative to a left or right front uh, left or right-hand drive uh, motor car. that's a lot yeah that's a a ton yeah and of course you get zero pedal offset so um that's why i did that when we did the 33 it's a massive compromise between how far forward you push the occupants and and pedal offset and because you know our number one statement is driving perfection we don't want a lot of pedal offset so um our our occupants aren't that far forward in 33, so we've got the minimum amount of pedal offset. And does it also help
1: to push the occupants inward, closer to each other, to sort of cheat that metric
0: a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So the seat couple, and and we we've got a, a tougher um, a tougher problem than most people because our cars are quite narrow. Uh huh. So the seat couple distance is what that's called. Um, is relatively narrow, not quite Porsche 911, but getting on for that.
1: The, uh, the, the most extreme of the, that I've seen, I, I got to have a quick ride-along in the Aston Valkyrie AMR Pro, <laughs> in which uh, you already know where I'm going with this, in which yep. uh, Andy Prio, who was an absolute gentleman and is very fast and a very uh, uh, racing driver-sized human – he goes, okay. Now, now, what you need to do is grab your left arm and hold it as tightly against yourself as you possibly can. And you know, okay, I get it. It's not meant for me, but at the same time, I was going. You're selling this to people. What are you yeah, doing? I know, I know.
0: That, that. But to be fair to the Valkyrie, it's uh, it's not rarely designed as a road car. It's designed to go be the quickest car around a track. You know. So. Oh yeah. Uh, the fact that you have to be extremely friendly with your passenger or your or your driver <laughs> yeah um, really matter i suppose
1: well either they're physically uncomfortable or they're just deeply uncomfortable for a variety of other reasons while going for a ride in yeah. that car you, so.
2: eventually you either want them behind you and then not in the car at
1: all yeah 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 it was uh it was a disturbing experience to say the least that thing um but uh so this new car the spider it's uh it's really pretty it's got a lot of uh, kind of classic uh, uh, throwback influences from sort of stuff from the 60s, but it still looks new and clean and fresh and no big wings, not a lot of visible downforce elements, which I know is is a thing of yours to keep that stuff underneath the car. Um yep. And I really like the treatment of the C-pillar, roll bar, roof scoop area. That two feet of design
0: is fantastic. Oh, thank you, Matt. Um, Yeah, I'm not a great fan. Uh, Ninety percent of the supercars, or actually even sports car spiders, do what I call the twin headrest treatment. So, Uh you have a Yes, the double hump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. couple of camels and and you have <laughs> the, the problem well, I, with those, I used to like it <laughs> yeah thanks for ruining that by the way uh the problem the problem with those is for me is is two things one is one is a a visual thing and that is that because the outside of those bumps is actually your outside a surface the they're always offset to the center of the of the seat Sure. So if you look at the epicenter of the seat, they're offset, and that that really offends me from a styling point of view. And the second one is uh, we we wanted to use a deployable spoiler, just like the thirty three coupe um, on the back of the car. And if those bumps aren't very clean aerodynamically, you get you they they're great vortex generators. And we thought we might have to make that spoiler on the back much, much bigger on the Spider, which I didn't want to do. And our aero targets for the Spider were um, our targets at the Master Coupe in downforce and, and almost the same in drag. And we've achieved that with this sort of 1960s throwback um, aerodynamic rollover bar. Uh, if you look at something like a, a one of my favorite cars of all time from a shape point of view, is the uh 206 sp uh dino uh-huh. from 1956.
1: or like that, a ferrari that, 250 lm would be the same kind of uh there you go yeah
0: thing. and that was done for that reason so you had a nice a nice aero There's the rear three quarters act yes look at that
1: well that's a i mean you talk about a great looking car they didn't get anything uh, wrong on that one did they
0: that's one of my favorite cars of all time
2: Ooh, yeah. yeah it's got like a stratos wing to it i like
1: that yeah so is it hard for you to because that car I, you correct me if i'm wrong but that dino was designed by someone who said it must look like a woman you know it wasn't it was not designed using what i gather to be uh, they, scientific principles that are known today right
0: yeah yeah something you want to wash yeah yeah, um, yeah something you want to wash that's fantastic uh, I think a lot of the cars in those days, believe it or not, were designed by engineers, the racing cars from that period. Mm. Um, Very seldom did they go to a coach builder uh, with a chassis and go, you know, do me like they did with the road cars, go to uh, Bertolni or Zagato or Pininfarina and go, you know, build me a body on this. Um, A lot of them were actually designed by um, engineers. And the interesting point there is there's nothing extraneous on those cars there's none of the slots or the flips flip ups or nothing is there for styling it's all for a purpose and that's something i carry forward on all gma cars Mm. you know there's nothing on our motor cars that is there for styling it's all of course shapes are but there's no slots or holes or inlets or outlets that don't do something whereas more and more modern supercars it drives me insane with you know, they come out with these stories about what these holes and slats and things are doing, and it's all rubbish. <laughs> so, was this,
1: to go back to the 60s, was it like tape and string engineering uh, more than yeah, was, uh, computers?
0: Yeah, and a lot of it was, you know, there were no wind tunnels. A lot of it was just uh, the gut feel from the engineer. And, and, and learning from the last year's car, you know, well that one had a little too much lift on the front. So what can we do to counteract that? Mm-hmm. Or we stick some dive planes on, or whatever. You know, um, it was very intuitive design in those days. So
1: your your um, the T thirty three something that's other other than that uh, C pillar and and rear window section treatment, which is fantastic. That that's two things that really stand out to me when looking at the photos. One, the windshield is. Huge compared to the size of the car. At least it looks that way in photos. Yep. It's got quite a rake on it, um, and and it comes back, you know, over quite a bit of the passenger compartment to the point where the driver, a, a great portion of the driver's body, is actually sitting underneath the windscreen. And then yep. there's no, what you can call, I don't know, surfacing on the sides of the car. They're very, very just. Smooth as opposed to a lot of what you might see from, say, the new Porsche GT3 RS, which is like all these bends and scoops to sort of move air around wheel wells and stuff like that. Can you talk about that design a little bit for a second?
0: Yeah, sure. The first, if you take the windscreen first, uh, the first thing is the production car. These show car models, these working models, they take about 10 months to make. So when we released the surface for this it was a bit of a snapshot in time if you like and uh, subsequently we've done more work on the seating buck and the and the um, header rail which is the back of the windscreen at the top is uncomfortably close to your head <laughs> yeah. when you're when you're getting in and out and we decided several months ago that we were going to move that forward more than four inches on okay. The that's already done, and actually, it improves the look of the car as well, which is a bonus. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the first thing. The second thing is the windscreen looks so big, so deep, is because I love front low front scuttles. I mean, both this has got the same scuttle height at the base of the windscreen as T50, and that is some four inches lower than your average supercar. That's a big. Whoa. That's a big difference. It's huge when yeah. you're sitting it's a bit like a video game (laughs) Um, you can see the road just one and a half meters in front of the car oh wow Um, you know about eight feet in front of the car and the other thing we do is we make sure that the muscle over the front wheel the front wing we call it um, the top point of that is absolutely in line with the center line of the front wheel so when you're sitting in the car you've got this massively good forward vision and you can place the front wheel when you're trying to hit an apex, you know, on a narrow uh, country road or something. And that's that's all done purposely. So the low scuttle is on purpose. And, of course, you take four inches off the scuttle, you add four inches to the windscreen
1: i guess I guess now that I look at it a little closer it's it's actually not that the windscreen intrudes that much over the driver it's that it goes very, very far down the front of the car, and uh the depth of the dashboard is actually further than we are used to, right?
0: Yeah, so if you imagine that scuttle height is four inches higher, the windscreen gets shorter,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: and and it doesn't look anything like that you know in fact some supercars are six inches higher than that sure, so the windscreen is much shorter if you like um, yeah
1: when you look at we've got a picture up of a mclaren 720 not a terrible it, car if you ask me but when you look at it by comparison
0: it does look a little frumpy doesn't it, you <laughs> it s- looks yeah you see the front how of high seven. the scuffle is on that for yeah. example yeah yeah and, and the reason why we parked the windscreen and wiper well, like in the middle is for the same reason because most uh, supercars have or sports cars have what we call a sawtooth bonnet. That is, the bonnet goes higher than necessary and then drops down. and it And it it park you park the wiper behind that. Yeah. Uh, and that stops it lifting aerodynamically when it's parked. If you park it in the middle, you just have the bonnet running straight into the windscreen with no sawtooth, which a is cleaner looking. Better aerodynamically, and once again gives you a, that takes two inches off the scuffle of height. And you so only need be... one wiper, so you save a pound. Exactly. So that that was all intentional again. That Do you was get in used my... to
1: that when you're driving it with the the? I haven't I haven't never driven a car where the wiper is parked in the center like it, it, that. You really, get used to it? If
0: you look, if you look at every Lamour car, uh, that's where they park.
1: Well, they're being paid to drive it. They're not parking it at the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> <Good>
0: it's
1: <point. laughs> oh, a different thing and then on the on the sides of the t thirty three um mm-hmm it it's very clean not a lot of scoops but a lot of a lot of the 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 mid-engine cars that are being built today and the cars that are the highest performing cars they have a lot of ins and outs on the side and we've sort of been told that that is the way to do it is it because they have the turbochargers and therefore a lot of a lot more heat to deal with than your naturally aspirated engine or is there another reason
0: uh once again it's a little bit of both i think they need more um cool air into the car um, but they also use that as a styling feature. I I like cars that are very clean and well proportioned. What we're trying to do is, is make something that will still look good in 20 years or 30 years time so you've got to stick to classic proportions and don't damage the shape too much. What you've got up there is probably one of the better modern cars if you
1: we've got a ferrari 296
0: 296 that's one of the cleaner ones but some of them are really messy if you if you look at them what we've done to disguise the outlet is just behind the front wheel um, the body swoops up which actually is the bottom of the door and the air from the radiator and the front wheel arch comes out there actually is an exit duct but it's in that
1: black it's hidden by in some black yeah, and, so that's uh, a,
0: that's right there. That's an exoduct. It's very sneaky. That's very And cool. it does
1: work. I mean, it, I mean, I don't mean, I mean, like, styling-wise, oh. it, it is very well hidden. I'm not like, actually, functionally- <laughs> believe it or not, Gordon's <laughs> design does work. Like, yeah, no, it works. But, I mean, I, mean, I mean, it works in terms of the fact that it is hidden in mm-hmm. the shadow of the rest of the car.
0: And that, once yeah, again, mm-hmm. was intentional. And I also wanted that to be, I didn't want another shot line. Uh, for the bottom of the door. So I'll raise that side panel so the bottom of that is actually the bottom of the door. So it saves another shut line.
1: Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so the scoop stays where it's at as part yeah. of the, the tub or and then the door opens above it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, you can see too many lines where the body
2: panels match and some cars have just, I mean, for... You know, cheap cars for manufacturing have a lot of them. But even some yeah. supercars, it just it breaks up. Otherwise, you know, there's this beautiful shape and all this paint. Oh, um,
1: we've got uh, uh, here at Westside Collector Car Storage, one Damn. of the things we do for our customers is paint protection film. And that's when mm-hmm. you really figure out how many seams there are in a body. <laughs> when they go, by the way, <laughs> this car is going to be $20,000 to do paint protection <laughs> film. Different pieces the 2005 Ford GT is one of the best cars ever made. But it's an egregious body panel offender in terms of the number of pieces to put it together. Yeah. Folks, we are brought to you by NASCAR. What a great sponsor NASCAR is. And this episode is brought to you by the NASCAR Cup Series, which is headed to its biggest and baddest track, Talladega Super Speedway. I love Talladega. It is my favorite uh, oval course. Uh, it's not an oval, it's a tri-oval, but Super Speedway on the NASCAR calendar. It has the steepest banking in the country. I believe it's 33 degrees of banking. I've driven it. It's like driving on a wall. It is so cool. This track is a monster. Two and a half miles of pure speed. Almost 200 miles an hour the whole way around the track. Inches away from each other for 500 miles. It's going to be an epic race to watch from the green all the way to the checkered. The playoff spots are dwindling. And you can witness the big one at Talladega, so make sure you grab some friends, find a comfortable spot on the couch, get some queso, and check this race out. Tune into the Geico 500 from Talladega, Sunday, April 23rd, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific on Fox.
0: When we were looking at the side luggage, because this car, like 50, has the two sort of saddlebag type luggage compartments, with two suitcases each side. And and I couldn't do the Gullwing opening as I did on 50 because we don't have a central spine on this car. Uh, so that was out of the question. And I, it, it drove me completely nuts for a couple of months. And then I had a hot shower moment where I suddenly thought, why not just open a uh, vertical hinge, the side panel, and open the whole side of the car? Because if you have another sh- like that, if you have another shut line, it would run right through that lovely muscle line across and break up that muscle line, which would look awful. So instead of doing that, we just open the whole side of the car.
1: Now, this is a really interesting angle. Uh, I, I looked at this photo before, and it was extremely cool. The, the rear three-quarter haunches open on a hinge from the rear, and it almost looks like they're opening like a reverse uh, beetle wing. Is that accurate? I think close enough. That's and That's and inside are the uh, are the luggage cases. Before you decided to do that, were, was that empty, vacuous space before, or what no, occupied no, no. that space before?
0: No, no, that was intentional from day one. I just I just put a big red cross through that bit of the car. And none of the designers could put anything there because that was always going to be the luggage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with a lot of the spiders. Um, is you take the roof panels out uh supercar spiders and you stick them in the front uh, luggage compartment and yeah. that's it yeah uh, and then you decide whether that's you a best case underpants. scenario by the way you're, you're talking yeah, about yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you, you've got to choose between your underpants or your socks right, um, right and on this I was determined to have proper luggage beyond sewage of the of the carbon roof panels and so we we made that successful on the F1 and the T50 with the side panniers. It was just the opening. I just could not think of a way without introducing another shut line, which would have been awful. Is and it, until okay. I suddenly thought, why not just open the whole panel? No.
2: Is that something that's only possible with a naturally aspirated car? Because a lot of the turbocharged cars today... You have, and we just saw in the 296, like you have an air intake there that goes both to the engine intake and to the cooling system.
0: Yes, it helps a lot. We also, we introduce air into the engine bay with a NACA duct in the floor. So we don't need, on the 50 and the 33, all the engine bay cooling is from the floor, so we don't need side ducts. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) And of course the engine intake is a is a direct ram induction so we don't need holes in the body yeah i bet that sounds good with the roof off that's That's probably a a delightful (laughs) experience can you imagine i mean if you want an immersive uh supercar spider experience is i promise you it's not going to get any better than this because we drop the rear glass electronically so you can bring the engine sound into the cockpit a bit through that and then take the roof panels out drop the side glass and then on top of that, you've got 11,000 revs just above your um, right or left ear hole. You better make sure your toupee glue is tight on that day.
1: That thing's going <laughs> right in. <laughs> it's going right into 12 ITBs. <laughs> I hope there's a screen in there catching birds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a beautiful design. Now, you, you touched on it briefly, but do the roof panels go into the front bonnet?
0: Yes, so we've got okay. 115 liters in the front, and the roof panel stow there. Um, after that, there's not a lot of room for much more, to be honest, but you've got the four suitcases in the rear. Uh, Who's your you, luggage
1: partner? Who makes who who helps with that luggage? Are you designing got, your own
0: luggage? We, we design it ourselves, and then it gets made through a British uh, luggage uh, company.
1: Is it the same company that did the F1 back in the day?
0: No no that was a that was an italian company
1: yeah. uh, got to keep it on the island i think it's important yeah we're trying well after brexit you have no choice <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) Um, The other thing I wanted to ask, and I do want to make sure we leave plenty of time in the show because uh, I dominated it with my questions last time you were on. And we have so many questions from our audience that I do want to make sure that they get a say in this. And it's not just Mm -hmm. what Matt wants to talk about show on this one. But... um, one of the things that I saw a little Instagram video of, of your final sign-off on the uh, production T50, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So it was just you driving through a tunnel with a little satisfied smirk, and I thought it was a very satisfying clip of a, a video. <laughs> but that's not my question. My question is, what was the very last thing on that car, what was the last thing that just needed finishing before customer sign-off.
0: Uh, it's a really boring answer. I'm afraid. Oh, I'm it's sorry. So- it's software. Okay. <laughs> the okay. software just goes on and on and on. You know, I I can remember throwing all my all my toys out the pram with the McLaren F1 when I discovered it had to have two electric boxes. Um, <laughs> it had a, an ECU engine controller and a chassis controller box. And I went completely bananas, made them stop and and start again and put everything in one electronic box. This car's got 55. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Times have changed.
1: But each one is probably much smaller and lighter. They all collectively probably weigh the same or they less are.
0: as the one, right? They are, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the uh, McLaren F1 looked like a large biscuit tin. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I have one of those in my Countach, and we threw it out too. We we had an extra one. Yeah, yeah, we were taking apart my Countach, Gordon, and we found an extra ECU there during restoration. It was a surprise. It had a USB port in it, so we were pretty sure it wasn't OEM. It was an aftermarket. Yeah, it was an aftermarket electronic controller of some kind. Stupid. with the uh, the the top down, I mean, obviously, it makes sense to do a spider version of the of the T thirty three. Driving supercars with a top down is fantastic. No, I'm, you're not going to convince me otherwise, but. Um, what uh, what are some of the other challenges uh, besides roof packaging and and uh, the aerodynamics around the cabin that come from uh, uh, turning
0: this car into a spider? I imagine it was designed to be both from the ground up. So yeah, sure. I mean, to be honest, I'm not really. I haven't really been a spider person. I've got a few spider classics because they either only came as a spider, or I prefer the design of the car. I didn't really buy them for the wind and the hair experience, if you like. But one of the main reasons I'm not a fan of a spider is because the torsional rigidity is usually way below. People design a coupe, a coupe, and then they decide to take the roof off, and then they, at the last minute, chuck a lot more metal at the rocker sections under the doors, and you end up with a heavily compromised car. Now, if you take our number one, the number one of our seven target statements, you know, is driving perfection, and if we were going to do an open car, it. it I could not compromise the transient handling the vehicle dynamics in any way shape or form. So you're right from day one we decided that our minimum torsional target for the car would be for the Spider, and then the, the, the Coupe would be a bonus if it was stiffer. So that's what we did and I know this has got just the right amount of torsional stiffness or the minimum torsional stiffness so we will not affect the transient handling. So. You can actually jump from the coupe to the spider and not feel any difference in the, in the handling, so I like now I know I've got a supercar spider with no compromises. I'm actually going to have one of these. I
1: think. <laughs> well, is it in, even in? Um, you're you're absolutely right in terms of the lack of torsional rigidity in most open top cars, but in the current generation of, I think. Certainly the carbon tub cars, they've really minimized that to the point where if you're not you or Dario or, you know, someone who's on the front row at Le Mans, you're not really going to feel the
0: difference much other than the maybe the weight of the roof mechanism. No, you're absolutely right. But but still to show how much closer we are, um, you can judge that by the difference in weight between a coupe and a spider. Oh, what is and the difference can- in weight? 50, 60, 100 kilos I've seen in some cases. And that can tell you instantly that they didn't start with the spider, and they've had to add a lot of material. We've only got an 18-kilo difference between the coupe and the spider, And, of course, some of that's the roof mechanism and oh, wow. the roof stove. That's so very, actual, very small. The difference <laughs> in the chassis is only about 10 kilos.
1: That's amazing. And the roof panels are carbon like the rest of the car, I imagine, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Are, they,
0: uh, are they painted like the car, or are they, are they naked carbon? You can have whatever you like in this. You know, the car's very hand Like 50, the car's extremely handmade. It takes six weeks to put one together. So um, you could have them carbon, body color, black. We've even got two types of carbon on this. So I'm um, speccing the car's going to be... So- I've had so much fun speccing the, the T50s. I've been at every single spec session, so I've met everybody. And, uh, that must be a spot- treat
1: for your customers. I bet they don't even even for millions of dollars. I bet they would be. Surprised to find out that you're sitting in on their color choices. Is that a line item? <laughs> How <laughs> many people have you told no to when they go, "All right, here's what I want to do," and you go, "Listen, not with my name on it, buddy."
0: We, we did. We did joke in the spec sessions in the early spec sessions. We did start a bit of a joke about if you get an unmarked line on your final invoice of twenty five thousand pounds, that's <laughs> taste tax.
2: <laughs> taste tax.
1: Yeah, I've I I've had a couple of discussions with people who uh, build very, very expensive supercars, and they have told me about some specs that they're like, please don't tell, tell anybody that this car exists that's going to, you know, deep into China. It'll probably never be seen again, but
0: I had to do some things I really didn't want to do on this car. <laughs> but, but you know what? The um – Honestly, Matt, the, the, the surprise for us with 50 and with 33 now is we seem to attract a completely different type of buyer from the normal supercar collector. Um, and therefore the specs on, on trim and color have been incredibly sort of um, restrained is the wrong word, but very in keeping with the technical side of the motor car and, and, and very tasteful. We, we reckon that out of the 100 T50s, a minimum of 85 of them are going to be driven and driven a lot. Um, so thank goodness we seem to be attracting the right sort of buyer, you know, for 34-hour cars, basically.
2: I wanted to ask something. I don't know if you can actually comment on this, but um, I watched another video. I think you were with Harry or Johnny Smith, uh, Harry Metcalf or Johnny Smith, and you said that you know the percentage of people that have already bought a T33 coupe have bought a spider as well i think it was like 40 percent or something or maybe higher and my question is i understand why those buyers are like i want to have both because like this thing's amazing and
1: money doesn't matter and money doesn't matter
2: <laughs> but is there is there any part of you that wishes these cars were able to be experienced by a larger number of people to kind of spread this gospel of driving yes. perfection
0: I think the numbers you're talking about are people that have bought 50 that have bought 33 coupe. Oh, my, okay. It's not, it's not anything near that between the coupe and the spider because that doesn't make sense, really. Um, the people that have bought, about a third of 50 owners bought a, a 33 coupe. And I think that makes sense because they are such different motor cars. You know, they are very, very, the the, the T50 as we promised, is our halo car. And we know we're going to do another one of those. It's the next F1. It's absolutely on the limit. Everything, the weight, the uh, the engine at 12,400, um, everything is absolutely on the, on the ragged edge with T50. Whereas 33 was meant to be something that you could, if you only ever own one supercar, uh, from the point of view of practicality, good looking, best engine, blah, 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 that's what you could buy, so I can see the the crossover between those two, but I, we haven't got anywhere near that crossover between the coupe and the spider.
1: Okay, my mistake. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. the ex, the The extreme, uh, extreme, and then the the usable. Right, you can get a little taste of the fifty every day. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. the th- the three seater is great when you're sitting in there, but you don't, you know, you're not trying to climb in and out of that thing five times a day to, to run errands. Yeah, that's a that's a real. That's a real, hey, watch me now, piece, you know. (laughs) Um, So when you say the the color and spec choices are in keeping with the car's sort of ethos, does that mean we're we're talking about sort of classic color combinations that you might find in a a sports car from the 60s and not a more more garish choice that uh, sort of watch this craziness
0: I can do now? Exactly that. Not a lot of bright colors, a lot of very uh, technical colors. Uh, which complement the car? What what we did for people with fifty? Because um, we've got 6,000 colors, um, six thousand uh, standard colours. Six thousand standard colours. And then we can paint <laughs> a sample on top of that, and we can mix. Who does special- six
1: thousand not cover? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what colours are
1: left? <laughs> So how do you come up did, with 6,000 well, standard
2: colors? I'm mantis, sorry. But if you, if, if so, a mantis shrimp we, shows up, because they can see more colors than we can. <laughs>
0: yeah. We didn't. We didn't. That's the paint company. They have 6,000 standard colors.
1: Oh, okay. Okay.
0: we painted <laughs> very few cars with a standard color, Funny enough. But what we did was we mixed our own. So we curated, uh, a couple of months before people came in for the first spec sessions, uh, we curated a, a, a nice little book, and. To working with the colour and trim people in the studio, uh, colour and person, I beg your pardon. I don't want to sound too posh. We only got one, um, and myself and my creative director, we picked 22 colours we thought suited the car, and then 22 complementary interior uh, layouts and colours that were good with that colour, and then we sent that out to everybody. So when they came in, at least most people had a starting point. Not that they picked one and went, "I want that." They just yeah. went, "I'm going to start here, and then we work it up from there." You know, and it's it worked perfectly.
1: That's fun. Did you ever see that? It was just reshared recently on social media. There was a a guide that Mercedes made in the '90s that showed exterior colors and interior colors, and it. It, it it checked boxes where where a complemented b very well oh. and there was like big red x's where it was like don't choose these two it like was, a color guide it was very funny like how to avoid garish trash That's in your helpful. new s class yeah. yeah it was really funny porsche obviously never repeated <laughs> that that experiment
0: <laughs> no i've had so much fun meeting everybody and uh, and you know As I say, we just seem to attract a different sort of owner with uh, NGMA, which is brilliant. Do you think, is it people
1: that were teenagers when the F1 was doing its thing and now want to be a part of that that legacy?
0: Matt, if I could have, you know, if if I could have had a recording of exactly what you said, so many owners, because we've got, I think nearly half our owners of t50 are are under 45. oh that's cool wow yeah that's brilliant which is absolutely brilliant and those people almost to a person said teenager f1 poster on the wall started a business got successful by that time f1s were 15 million dollars couldn't afford one this Mm -hmm. is my f1 and my reply to them is you've got a better car that'll be easier to run for an 85% discount <laughs> yeah. That's what I would say if I was buying one. Yeah. The exact statement. Sure. Yeah.
1: And there's and there's uh there's a lot of little little details in this car that can like that whole entire center oh, yeah. uh, section where the shifter sits and those knobs. I mean, if you look at a photo of the F1's console, it's not exactly mm-hmm. the same, but you could tell the same company made made both of those things. I love that same there's bl- like no screens. Philosophy, yeah. Philosophy, excuse me. I um, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I mean that is so good that that looks like it could have been, you know, the same kind of thing from 95, which is I say that in a, in a good way.
0: Yep, it's excellent. No, no, I've managed to get um, with with 50 and 33. I've managed to get another one of my rid of my another one of my pet hates. So I got rid of touchscreens yes. um, on both of them, but I've also got rid of column stalks, which I find so exasperating on cars because you jump in another car. And they do different things, you know, or the haptics are wrong or soggy or you have to let go of the steering wheel to reach behind the wheel for a a column stalk. So I've got rid of those altogether on this.
1: It's interesting that that you uh, are so anti column stocks. I, I I understand being anti touchscreens and, and being anti haptic because those are all just terrible. Um, but I'm, we're looking at the photograph of the steering wheel, and um, I am like I don't I don't particularly find column stocks when they're done simply like McLaren does a very good job I think with their blinkers and wiper stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but your steering wheel is very simple. There's a left blinker and a right blinker and what looks like two either toggle switches or scrolly wheels. Yep. That's um, Interesting, That's though, that you have chosen a four-spoke steering wheel as opposed to a three-spoke steering wheel. How did that come
0: about? That came about purely with design because I don't like wheels that aren't round and I don't like wheels with a very thick grip so our grip is very very small like a, more like a classic car. Uh, I don't like my I mean, my Alpine A110 the steering wheel is so fat I've got big hands and I can hardly get my hands around it. Um, so the only reason why we went for a flat bottom it, it just helps you get in and out of the car a little bit uh, it, it it's just makes it a little bit more easy. But with a three-spoke wheel, what offends me, and it did on the 50 to start with, is that the the spoke doesn't land anywhere near from a structural point of view, the change in direction from round to flat. And mm. I've always thought a four-spoke wheel where you stiffen the wheel at the change of direction would make much more sense. So we've been able to make this wheel about 200 grams lighter. Oh, really? Even with the uh, extra spoke?
1: How about that?
0: Yeah. But the, the uh, I think the F1 wheel is 850 grams, and I think this is about 700 or something.
1: Oh wow! Even with the uh, with the electronics and stuff in it, which the F1 wheel, of course, yep. does not have. Yep. How interesting! What is the diameter of that wheel?
0: If you know offhand, good, which I'm sure you do. Good question. Uh, I think it's three. Now, oh, such a long time ago, I think. Stumped it's... him. Got him. <laughs> three fifty. Three hundred and fifty is good. That's a that's a that's
1: a good number. It's, I like that. It's
0: not a terribly small wheel.
1: Well, that's okay as long as it fits the rest mm. of the uh, of the mm. of the uh, cockpit. It's fine. Well, it's, uh, we
0: couldn't go too small because the T fifty's got manual steering.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, and and is and the steering wheel is shared between the two cars, right? No, no, no. It's a completely new wheel. Oh, is it? Sorry, I don't have pictures of both up at the same time. My bad. Um, you will in a minute. It's amazing, and I uh, I love that you have uh, have thought about every little thing. It's just perfect for you. Oh, there's the T. There's the T50 wheel. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Actually, interestingly enough, I think the T33 wheel looks better. It does. Well, there you go. Right. You the reason. You have now, yeah. You're you're evolving, sir. Let's uh, let's give some uh, some airtime to our our fans of the show. Of course, if you want to watch the live stream, ask questions of our guests or us, and of course, get an ad free listening experience. The Patreon is where you do it. Patreon.com slash the smoking tire podcast. And let's get right into it. Chris Navio says, Gordon, did you ever consider using carbon fiber wheels to reduce unsprung
0: mass? Uh, yeah, for a microsecond. Um, <laughs> the, the problem with carbon wheels is quite simply safety. Um, we looked at them when we were racing, funny enough, and we never went there because. The uh, the failure mode for carbon fibre is catastrophic. Uh, <laughs> failure failed,
1: mode. <laughs> that is the very British way of saying when they go, they explode.
2: <laughs> what yes. mode is it in? <laughs> failure
0: mode. <laughs> Which uh, and of course a metallic wheel, the failure mode is is uh, is propagation. So if you, for example, if you if you nick a curb with a with a metallic wheel and and give it a small crack it'll take a long time for that crack to propagate through fatigue and you can usually spot it um really early the problem with carbon fiber is if you nick a curb on that or if somebody gets a bit monkeyish with a tire lever when they're putting a new tire on and gouge out the first two uh plies of the carbon there is no propagation it just explodes yeah, yeah, it's not and, great. And yeah. with forged wheels these days, I mean, the forged the forged wheels are beautiful these days. We can get down to within a kilo of, um, you know, two pounds of a of a carbon wheel. I think our front wheels are less than seven kilos on T-50. Wow, wheel. really? Yeah. Are they
1: and are they eighteen inch or nineteen inch? What size are they? They're 19, nineteen inch. That is really light for a nineteen inch wheel. That's amazing. Very very cool. Um, I like this one. Ted Theo Logan says, "I'm curious what Gordon thinks of the design of the C8 Corvette. Have you seen the current uh, Corvette much in person? Oh, is that
0: the the rear engine one?
1: The yeah, the mid engine car. Uh, yeah. It is uh, v- selling very well here in America. They're all over
0: the place, and they I, are
1: quite nice to drive as well.
0: Yeah, I've always been a great fan of Corvettes. So I think I think the the value for money for a sports car experience. And I, I'm not just talking about bang for buck. I'm talking about the fact that they've got really interesting aluminum chassis. Um, it's not just some you know, production chassis that you put a sexy body on. Uh, they, they, they're designed right from scratch and they've got some really interesting materials and technology in them. And going right back to the early mid fifties Corvettes, you know, it was a huge toss up when I was a lot younger, I loved the uh, 55, 56, 57 T-Bird. And the early, I beg your pardon, the mid to late 50s Corvettes up to about 61. Mm-hmm. I love those cars. And it was a real toss-up which one I bought. And the T-Bird won in the end. And I've still got the 57 T-Bird. Do you? But, yeah.
1: Is it, a, is it a cruiser spec car or is it a high performance? Uh... No, no,
0: no. Well, you wouldn't want high performance because it takes four miles to stop. Yeah, <laughs> so those those first
1: generation Thunderbirds are very very pretty, and oh, they're much I, smaller in person than they photograph.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what? It's it's shorter, narrower, and lighter than a three series BMW. Yeah, and
1: they came. If you ever saw, I don't know if they made it over to the UK, but you could have gotten them with a uh, factory supercharger. Back in the day.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, the that's Paxton right. supercharged yes. mine's, mine's version. A, mine's a normal one, but without, without the Continental kit on the back. I drive it to Goodwood sometimes for fun. That's probably uh, a novelty for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Bet. They, uh, they probably don't see a lot of T-Birds over there, except for the couple, like, crazy race car ones that are going for the members meeting. Uh, let's see uh, Christian says Gordon what is your favorite slow car to drive fast and are there any sports cars at the afford- affordable end of the spectrum that you really enjoy
0: uh, the favorite slow car to drive fast is easy it's one of my classic car collections I've got an original 1959 Austin Healey frog eye Spy. I think you call them bug eyes mm-hmm. right we do call and them I'm bug like- eyes on this side yeah yeah, yeah. So um and unlike most people, I haven't put the 12.75 seven five motor in it, I haven't put this brakes on the front, I haven't done all the mobs. It's absolutely bog standard and it's um the nine fifty, forty three horsepower engine. I lusted after one when I was seventeen years old, and I finally got to buy one about twenty years ago <laughs> and I drive it to work and it just oversteers everywhere. You don't need- <laughs> You just don't need the steering wheel once you've got the backsliding. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's the most fun. It sounds lovely. It's got a very rifle bolt gear change. Uh, and because I wanted one when I was younger, every time I'm in it, I force myself to look down the bonnet, look at the dashboard and all the things I lusted after when I was a teenager.
1: There it is. We've got a little there photo it of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Leaf, leaf green. There you
1: go. That's a good green, actually. You Are you going to do a T33 in that green? That would actually, I think, be very complementary to that design. It would be very cool. Yeah.
0: Modern cars, um, I suppose I have to say my everyday car, which is an Alpine A110, which is not incredibly quick. It's only 240 horsepower, I think, um, but it's 1,100 kilos. And it's got sublime ride and handling uh, compromise. Um, it's it's really uh, fantastic. In fact, we benchmarked it for T50. Oh, cool! Wow. That's interesting. That wow. sort of
1: parallels the uh, the NSX and the McLaren F1 relationship exactly. a little bit. You, you just exactly. made Mr. Tuig very, very happy. I think I'm sure you guys
2: are friends. <laughs> yeah.
1: but the guy that led that team, yeah, probably
2: is very happy right now.
1: Do you have Do you have uh, Do you own, or are you at all interested in luxury cars? Or is it Is there Do you have a Range Rover in the collection somewhere, or anything like that? Or is it all
0: lightweight sports cars? I've got of the collection. Uh... 38 of them are under 900 kilos i remember you said that which is an
1: amazing uh if you've got a theme for a collection i think you'd you'd be tarred pressed
0: to beat that uh but... and i still in my life have never owned a four-door car because i'm not really old enough for that yet i will i'll get one when i grow here. up
1: you've never owned a four-door car no nope. well at this point at this point you can't you have to you have to ride that one out, man. You can you can you have to make that a lifetime commitment. I'll put sad. that on your tombstone. Never owned a four-door car. That's I mean that's amazing. This casket only has two doors. Yeah, I put two doors on the casket. That's a boss move. <laughs> You've owned more cars with three seats than with four doors. That's See, yep. that's with, cars with an odd number of seats would be another exceptional theme for a collection, Small either collection, one or probably. three only. Uh, Mr. Nailhead says, what is the scariest race car ever, in your opinion? That I've driven, do you think? Or? Uh, you could give us two answers, one that you've driven and one that you've witnessed
0: being driven, maybe. Uh, I, there was some, uh, it's really awkward to name names, uh, but when I, in the 70s, there were several newcomers into the Formula One scene where, who obviously looked at it and thought anybody, you know, the DFE, the u- ubiquitous DFE engine, you can just go and buy one off the shelf, you buy a and gearbox, anybody can design a Formula One car. And my goodness, there were some terrible cars out there. Um, I've spoken to drivers who have driven them, and they were they were literally terrifying. I've luckily not not driven uh, – I've only driven my own Formula One cars. I drove every single Formula One car until I made them too small for me to fit in in 1979. Um, but uh, I've seen plenty of Formula One cars out there that were absolutely dreadful. From a sports car point of view um, – if you talk i haven't driven one but if you talk to drivers at goodwood the lotus 30 colin chapman tried to do a backbone chassis in a, in a very powerful uh, v8 powered car a bit like Di Tommaso. he did the the, the beautiful little vallelunga i've got one uh, which was the first rear engine mid rear engine backbone chassis car and then he did the mangusta and put a V8 in it and it completely I mean the chassis was just not up to it
1: everyone I know who's driven a Mangusta is like looks great don't get anywhere
0: near it just park it and look at it there you go (laughs) so Colin Chapman my hero decided to do a V8 powered sports car with a backbone chassis and all the drivers say it was it had a mind of its own and then he did a Lotus 40 which was the same concept and when you speak to the, the guys that have driven that you say well you know, what's a Lotus 40 like? They say it's a Lotus 30 with 10 more mistakes.
1: <laughs> you, uh, you Did you uh, have a lot of
0: uh, good moments with Colin Chapman personally? I did when I got accepted into the fold. For the first two and a half years, I didn't get even an, eye, an eye-long an sort of glance in the pit lane when I went past because I was 23-year-old new kid on the block in Formula One. But then we finished the season at 74 at Watkins Glen, and we were first and second on the grid with the Bradford BD44 and first and second in the race and fastest and second fastest lap. And Chapman came straight up to me after the race, shook my hand, and he said, that's the way to do it. And that night offered me a job. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, that's a
1: surreal day at the office.
0: That's crazy. Was
2: there there a moment or uh, a series of them, I guess, that led to him – trusting you and, and respecting you that way? Or was he just like caught up in the celebration and you know was just in a great mood? No,
0: I think, I think he'd looked at the car because the 44 was quite a radical motor car. You know, it was first car to have rising rate suspension. It was a triangular monocoque. Aerodynamically, it was very different. It had crude ground effect. It had a dry, yeah. first car, a dry sump gearbox. It was the first car to attach the rear suspension directly to the motor. Uh, had a lot of firsts. And it's a very cool-looking
1: car. It's very unique design. We've got a photo of it up uh, up right now, and it's a really funky, different kind of looking car. It's so much smaller mm-hmm.
2: than F one cars today, and, yeah. and you can you can almost see the driver's waist. Like you can see where their their waist would bend, so their legs go out in front of them. And, and today, you barely can see the top of their helmet. Yeah. Uh, looks like Nicky Ferrari too. We
1: were at uh, the Long Beach Grand Prix this past weekend, oh. Gordon, and there was a, a vintage F1 race uh, right before the IndyCar race. And <laughs> listening to those cars uh, in the streets of Long Beach was uh, pretty epic. They make wow, yeah. quite quite the noise. Our friend Patrick Long won, which is which is great. Very talented racing driver. Uh, let's see what do we have here. Okay. Uh... Oh, this is a good one. Sarong Singh said, uh, Nikki Lauda wrote about the old, old Rio track as one of the hardest to drive and set a car up for in the ground effect era due to the centrifugal force acting on the car. Uh, in your time as a designer and a track side, are there any specific tracks that you felt were very hard to set up a car
0: for? That's interesting. Uh, absolutely, yes. I mean, it's. Um... Because, of course, in the old days, uh, 70s and even early 80s, pre-telemetry, you had to literally kneel down next to the driver and either later on plug in or just shout and uh, get the feedback from the driver. And then I was the one that directed the mechanics on the car to you know, change the springs, the ride height or whatever, to go faster. And when I started in Formula One, I looked at the most difficult tracks to win on, and they are invariably the tracks that are very difficult to set up for. And there was Monaco, because Monaco's ridiculous. It's got got so many hairpin bends where all you want is mechanical grip and no downforce at all. And then you've got the curve through the tunnel and that flat out chicane in those days where you need all the downforce. So you don't know whether to set the car up soft and mechanical for grip or to be stable through the tunnel. So that was a nightmare. The other one was Nürburgring, uh, the, the proper Nürburgring, uh, the old one, the Nordschleife. Yeah. And that one, it had three places where the car took off and flew for over 150 feet through There's the There's some
1: really iconic
0: photographs from, from, that, yeah. uh, from those races, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the problem with that is, if you and and those three places were flat so if, if the car stayed stable in the air you didn't have to lift before you took off and it, we found that if you compromised the the, uh, the car on the setup so that it you could go flat through that and you and compromised the damper settings for the rest and the aero settings for the rest of the lap it was still quicker to do that. So we used to reverse the damper setting so the car didn't spring up in the air. So we used to run much more bump settings and less rebound on the damper. And we used to set the car up on the wings so it would stay flat in the air and not start tipping up or tipping down. And, and that was quicker. <laughs> so that was another one. And then there was Spa, which is just the most amazing, the Spa-Francorchamps um, circuit, just the most amazing fast and slow setup, and and to get the car stable and flat through eau rouge in those days and then the last one funny enough was interlagos which was unbelievably difficult because it was one of the bumpiest circuits on the planet and when you had a lot of downforce particularly under the car it was very difficult to get the car on a stable enough platform without going too stiff and then it had the world's longest high-speed corner. It had Curve de the sole. Uh, this is the original Interlagos, not the Mickey Mouse one I got now. Um, and it was a proper racetrack, you know, and, and it was so difficult to set up for the Curve de the sole and to keep the high-speed downforce consistent and the bumps and the slower stuff. And when I started as a kid, I thought to be a proper designer, you've got to win Monaco, Spa, Interlagos, and uh Frank O'Shaan. and I with, finally the same, put, with the
1: same car or just across a no, career no, no, across just, career just
0: win them and okay. I finally did get to win them all <laughs> that's like uh
1: that is a it's like a good like personal uh what we'd call a triple crown here uh it's like a horse racing term uh in the States. but yeah that's uh that's cool uh it's a that's a great bit of uh of insight with monaco has you know now now when we watch monaco i've i've been to that that race in person and it's it's quite an interesting scene and it's if you're a formula 1 fan it is worth it to find the time and the money to go just to to see it um but the race itself it's very tough to pass all the pa- a lot of the passing happens in the pits is that as the cars have gotten bigger and take physically taken up more of the track um is that different than what it was like in the 70s where the cars were a little smaller and or has it it's, always been that way
0: No it's it's everything overtaking everywhere's got more difficult because of the the footprint of the car for sure yeah. but also the amount of downforce so the braking uh, the braking point is much nearer the entrance to the corner so there's less opportunity to overtake that's true everywhere not just monaco um but the footprint is probably more of a of a deciding factor on the overtaking than anywhere else because Monaco they've never been able to widen the circuit right so it's it's really narrow if you get two modern Formula One cars uh, you know next to each other that's the whole width of the track you can't get a fag packet you know between the two of them no
1: parallels to road cars there at all. None that I can see. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Brendan says, uh, is there anything you wish you could incorporate into the T-50 but were unable to through packaging, emissions controls, price restrictions, etc.? Any wish list items that just couldn't get into the car? No. Well, that's good. That's why they're sold out. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Kevin McCann says, can you say who will get the first T-50 off the production line?
0: I I, I wish I could, but we, we can't really talk about um, owners, unfortunately. But, um, I understand. It, it's, somebody, it's somewhere pretty close to where you guys are.
1: Oh, good. Hopefully we'll see it. One of them is in this room. <laughs> <laughs> it's me you guys I got. I have to, something to tell you I've been saving my pennies so I, hope it's, I hope it's I hope there are there at least a couple of them coming to Los Angeles so I have a chance of seeing them around
0: yeah there's quite a few on the west coast I think yeah
1: I was yeah. up at uh, Bruce Canepa's recently, and he showed me uh, one of your engines on a stand at his shop. And I imagine at least a couple of them will pass through old Bruce's place, probably with a hundred percent markup.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, the the engine's a work of art, isn't it? It's a really lovely thing.
1: It sounds great on video. I can't wait to hear it uh, to hear it in person. Uh do we have let's see if uh let's see if we had a bunch of other that were very wordy and I don't wanna okay, hang on. Is there okay, a couple people ask variations and we touched on this last time you joined us, but we'll we'll just go through it again. People want to see your brain on a slightly less expensive uh, product. They, they're looking for a, a Gordon Murray product that's $100,000 or something that, that, that regular people might one day dream of affording. And you touched on it last time we spoke, but uh, any other thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, well, we got that close. Everybody did. Uh, we got very, very close to having it. We worked with Yamaha for several years, and... Um, and they decided they wanted to go four wheels and they decided they want to use iStream which is our lightweight manufacturing uh with composite panels lightweight manufacturing system and we did uh, a two-seater electric city car for them the t26 which was a lovely little thing to drive we we're a bit ahead of its time perhaps but and then we did the the one everybody here was interested in was t40 which was a two-seater sports car about the same size as a Lotus Elise, just a little bit longer than a Lotus Elise, 840 kilos. It had a one litre, three cylinder Ford EcoBoost engine, 125 horsepower. It had masses of luggage space, air conditioning, and lots of a really nice driver focused cockpit. And that was probably eight or nine years ago, And that could have sold, the base model would sell for 27,000 pounds. That
1: would have been awesome.
0: And the souped up one, the the GMD version uh, with a more powerful engine was about 33,000 pounds. And that was, uh, you know, a Lotus Elise on steroids. Uh, It was fantastic, but everyday usable. It had proper upholstery, um, you know, aircon, proper heater that worked and everything, and a lot of luggage space and we got we built several prototypes uh and they had a president change or top end management change and he suddenly went we're not doing four wheels and that was it incredibly
1: unfortunate did you keep did you sneak away a prototype for yourself to play with? i would love
0: to they took them all back to japan but uh, that's so unfortunate I, i did say to yamaha you know we were only about i think 80 people in those days and i said if you give us a good uh, lease deal on these there'll be 40 of them outside of the car park <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah no that would have been cool and Yamaha that you know they do some cool stuff with yeah. engines I mean even even in otherwise mundane cars did you guys in in the UK did you ever get the Taurus SHO do you even no, you know what that mean. is no the out uh, it was a Ford Taurus otherwise fairly mundane car with a, a sporty suspension and a Yamaha uh 6-cylinder engine with a beautiful intake runner uh setup mm-hmm. and a manual gearbox and it actually made it made a really nice sound and they drove really good and they're sort of uh, cult classics uh over here very hard to find one that's not completely you but, know um, beat to crap show Gordon yeah, the me- uh, the intake runner and this is in a this is in a uh of, of an otherwise very mundane car, and look how pretty this intake is in a Ford Taurus. Well, they,
0: they've done some lovely motors, you know. They did the, you know, the original Toyota two thousand GT, which are now very collectible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a Yamaha motor. Um, the Lexus LFA, oh V10. yeah, yeah, that's yep. a Yamaha motor, that's, and the V eight, the V eight, and the Volvo is also a Yamaha motor as yes, well. Yes, it is.
1: It actually has an intake runner set up kind of like that Taurus SHO if you take the plastic thing off. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's that great meme that's like guy walks into a piano store. And he's like, I need a piano. And Yamaha's like, yes. He's like, strangely enough, I also need a motorcycle. And the guy's like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and I also need a V10 engine for my supercar.
0: Great. Oh, um, and an outboard, outboard motor for my boat. Yeah. They right. were
1: – I – I uh uh, my father has a, a boat, a 26-foot 20, a or 28-foot Boston Whaler, that had two of those Yamaha engines in them, and they were, that Yamaha four-stroke offshore engine was a total game changer in the boating world. Amazing are, engines.
0: I've got an amphibious boat at our house in Scotland. Uh, I'm, also I'm sorry, tomorrow- amphibious? Amphibious boat, yeah, and it's got a, a Yamaha, 150 Yamaha um, on the back, and it's just fantastic
1: when you say amphibious you mean you just amphibious? you know amphibious means land and sea right uh, you dr- it can drive on land yeah. somehow
0: yeah I built a new house um I, I design houses as well by the way uh, I built a new house in up in Scotland makes all its own energy on a beach and I've got a I don't know whether you call it a boathouse or a garage but I've got a I built a thing right on the beach because we've got 20 foot tides there- uh-huh. and uh, You just drive, it's got an electric door, and I load everybody, it takes nine people, load everybody in the boat, and you just drive out into the sea, and then pull the wheels up, and off you go. What what is this? It's called Sea Legs. Sea Legs? Sea Legs.
1: That's actually a great name. I love when things have just great names like that. Oh, look at that. It's like, oh, wow, how cool. It's got, like, ATV wheels on it. There you go. Oh wow, that's rad. Holy moly. I actually went to Scotland last year on a vacation and had the best time. It was so beautiful oh, okay. and the people were so nice. I love and, it up there. Uh, we were in Braemar. It was fantastic. Um good roads too for a Gordon Murray T33 if you happen to have one of those. Oh, the Sea Legs thing, that's pretty cool. I wanted to uh to go back to the cheap
2: sports car thing. I imagine that today that would put you in the hard um situation where you have to remain a small manufacturer for all the yeah, new we, emissions we regulations, never,
0: right we could never do that we're just yeah. not set up to you know uh, our cars take six weeks to put together you know we, we're but uh, what we did was design it develop it and engineer it for Yamaha and Got they it. would have manufactured. Mm-hmm. they were going to manufacture it in Europe um, so maybe that, that would have happened. been cool
1: that and you you take out that EcoBoost motor and put in a Yamaha like Leader bike engine, mm-hmm. revs to twelve or something. It'd be insane. Um, last one, I think. Uh, do you have to? Do you have to get going? We have an hour. Are you? Are you on the I'm, next I'm thing? I'm fine.
0: I'm fine, okay. Matt.
1: Well, I'm taking. Guess what? You're stuck here all day now. Uh, our Bobby says chefs often have a guilty pleasure: fast food, something they know they shouldn't like because of how skilled and refined their palate is but they do anyway. Is there a car that does it for you? Outside your purity of vision and taste, something you shouldn't like, but you like anyway? Good question.
0: I suppose if you just look at the stats on paper, you've got to say it's the T-Bird because it's, it's like none of my other collection, but I just, that doesn't really count because I absolutely love the design. Um, a car probably that fits that bill that people are very surprised when they know I've got one. And I had three at once at one time. is a Renault Kangoo, the original Renault Kangoo, not the current big thing that's full of leather and loudspeakers and all that rubbish. It was original. It was like a van car. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a little micro van. Absolutely brilliant. And I've got one in France, which is still there. I've got a 4x4 one in Scotland, which I used to go and get fuel for the boat. That's still there. And I had until recently. That's that's it. Um, Until recently, I had one in England. So I had three of them at one stage and it's a funny little diesel thing, but it's just the most magic car. It swallows anything. It's four metres long and it's got two thousand six hundred litres of space.
1: That's pretty cool. Go. That's like uh what they were using in uh there's a documentary called The Truffle Hunters. These guys and their dogs and go it's actually a very sad uh-huh. documentary, but they go they go out in the woods with their dogs and this this is what they all drove something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad it's like you you didn't say Hummer. <laughs> <laughs> I Hellcat man, charger. imagine if you next time you come to America, I would give anything to have you review the new electric Hummer, which weighs over nine thousand pounds and has a thousand horsepower and can't really stop very well. That would be a really fun, fun experience.
0: Yeah. I'd have to wear a disguise, I think.
1: I think. Yeah. Hey, it's Hollywood. We can find well, yeah. does that. <laughs> yeah, we can we can we can make that happen for sure. um Last one, uh, Prashan, this is a great one. Uh, What do you think, and no pressure here, is the greatest piece of industrial design for an everyday object? For an example, Prashan thinks it's the KitchenAid stand mixer, which I love my KitchenAid stand mixer. That is an excellent piece of industrial design.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Wow. Um, Let me think. When's the last time I went? Who are over something Anything
1: like in, that. Your, in your home or your kitchen or your bathroom where you're like,
0: wow, this is, this is a d- well made thing? Could be a pen, desk. Yeah, it, do, it does happen. Industrial design, you're talking about sort of domestic stuff. I suppose, uh, but if, if something because else comes to mind, for me, that's commercial I'm, grade. I'm an absolute sucker. And by the way, a bit of an anorak on jukeboxes. Yeah, there's one like, behind you in the shot here oh yeah of course there is. yeah and I've got 17 of them but <laughs> they they work? which my wife thinks is 16 too many uh, but they all work but it's more than that I know who designed them the mechanism whenever I get a new one I run it for a month back to front with the back off because they're full of all sorts of cool Geneva mechanisms and cans and stuff and uh, and then you've got the design at the front and of course that's it's 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 just such a lovely thing, you know. Paul Fuller was the the fundy, so I know who designed them, how many they made, what they're worth. Uh, I just I'm a complete anorak on jukeboxes, and whenever I see a, a a jukebox anywhere, if it's one of the ones I like, because they're not some of them are not so good um, from a design point of view, I just I just completely carried away. Will you only
1: play a certain type of music out of the jukebox, or can you? can you uh, swap records that are maybe more modern and, and not of the period of the so jukebox? I, ha-
0: I have a rule. If it's an original restored jukebox and still got the original valve amplifier or tube amp, I think you guys call them yeah, uh, in it, um, then that has to have period records in it. If it's a restored casing with a modern mech in it, then I can play something more modern, but otherwise it has to be from the period. Do you have like Google alerts set up for when they come up for sale, so that it notifies you? No, when... I've got all. The, I've, I've bought all my favorites now. There <laughs> were seventeen I liked, and I got them.
1: So okay, so so that's an interesting thing. You are able to collect something to a degree that many people would consider excessive, but you also know when to stop.
0: Yeah, it's like the classic cars. I've got to the end. Apart from one more Abarth, I've got to the end of my list. That's so interesting.
1: Knowing, I mean, uh, that well, ethos translates to your to the cars as well. You know when to stop, even if the car is, you know, by all accounts, a pretty excessive
2: thing. Are they Are they still making and designing new jukeboxes? Because maybe this is a thing where the supply no, is well, finite. <laughs>
0: No, not really. They, they're now designing yes. um, CD versions of the old ones, um, which I don't find terribly exciting, to be honest. Yeah, um, I understand that. But, but you, made, Matt, you made a very good point there. I think a lot of styling studios, uh, because styling studios, unlike us, were a handful of people, um, have hundreds of people in them and several layers of management reviewing the designs. And I think a lot of the modern cars are fussy because of exactly what you said. They don't know when to stop.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. I kind of, I like the idea of like, you've gone down the list and now it's still a collection, still a lot, but no more. We're done. Yep. That's brilliant. I like that.
2: That's an example of intent versus if you try if you. You keep getting lured by the new thing. Yeah. And like what just came out and like, oh, well, maybe, it, you know, want to taste that a little bit and own that a little bit versus like, no, these are the things I like. I've assessed the entire automotive well, good, world.
0: Good, That's it. Good Good design's timeless. You know, it sure. doesn't matter if it's a, a kitchen implement like the mixer. Um, it's timeless. And the cars, we're, we're, we're trying to, I know it sounds a bit weird, but, but we're trying at every junction to be different from other supercar OEMs the way we treat customers, the way we design the cars, the way we approach performance figures. Um, and and the design is is a big part of that. The styling is a big part of that. You know, we're trying to do cars that would people want to keep in the family and don't swap for the next latest thing and would still look quite good in 20 or 30 years time, hopefully. What kind of missed opportunity do
1: you think the other supercar makers are leaving on the table by not making manual transmissions right now?
0: I just, I just think they, they read the market incorrectly, and I think the other thing is volume. You know, if it's very easy for us because we're only making a hundred cars, and I, I made the. I think we talked about it last time with the T33. I have to put my hand up. It was me that decided we should, we should potentially offer a paddle shift. I should have read the first line of our of our seven sort of things that we aim to hit: driving perfection and driver involvement. Um, and embarrassingly, nobody wanted one. And I think with a hundred cars, you can get away with that. If you're trying sure. to sell 4, five thousand cars a year, I think you you know it's it's paddle shift.
1: Sure. Did you see? Um... You know, I'm sure you were busy at the Quail doing interviews and all that stuff. And uh, did you see uh, Christian von Koenigsegg's new synthetic manual gearbox in that in that yeah. car? It's pretty. I mean, yeah. it's pretty innovative. You got to admit it's 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 say, pretty cool.
0: If you put aside the fact that it isn't really a manual gearbox, um, of course, but it's it's technically brilliant. Yeah, it's absolutely. When you see the amount of I said to him, you know, I did a, a, a Top Gear thing with him recently, and I said to him, my God, the amount of development work and software development for, to make that work properly and feel like a manual must be horrendous. Of course, it isn't a manual gearbox, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's very clever what he's done.
1: In order to, when I saw him right, right before I saw you in August, he goes, you got to see this thing I'm doing. And, it's, and he showed me, and I was like, well you're completely out of your mind and he goes no but watch this and he started the car he put it into manual mode put it in first gear on the stand mind you you know the car's parked on <laughs> the stand and then dumps the clutch and stalls it he goes you you can stall it and he was so excited <laughs> that he had built this synthetic manual that was still stallable Um, And that was the flaw. He programmed. Yeah. 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 And that was so funky. And then and then the other thing is the the fact that it's a nine speed gearbox and sport and race modes use different ratios from those nine speeds. They choose an optimized sixth. I just think if you're going to do something like that, he has certainly figured out a way to make (laughs) jaded folks like myself go, oh, my God, you're just insane. (laughs) Yes that's uh yeah that was that was something that really blew my mind. what did you is it what else is there anything else in the in the greater uh supercar world that's really impressing you right now maybe the, what what Ramats is doing with their electric cars or or anything oh, like that
0: yeah, I mean I think he's one of the most clever guys on the planet uh matte Ram- I got a lot of respect for him um whether i i but I don't fully agree with the fact we're ready for a full electric supercar yet i don't think the time is there i think we need the next level of battery technology i think we need to get down to to call it a proper supercar it's it's um they are unbelievable in a straight line they really are but um from a vehicle dynamics point of view i think we need to get electric supercars down to under the 1500 kilo mark really before we start getting serious about it but i do really uh, respect what the what the guy's done you know it's um uh he's, he's probably the best out there when it comes to that sort of thing did
1: you get to have a go in the nevera did you go out and no one? no
0: I, I haven't no uh, but uh. it's
1: not really my bag to be honest um, it's not I, I totally understand. But if you do get the opportunity, I ran an mm-hmm. eight I ran an eight second quarter mile on the street. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's, it's it, it, yeah, will, uh, it will it will suck your eyeballs into the back of your head. And that's fun. I've, a driven, I've driven
0: a Tesla S and that's amazingly entertaining in a straight line. But after half an hour, yeah, you mm, just have a headache. Maybe not so much. I get it. I'm 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 with you when when this
1: with the sports cars, the weight, the the shifting, the revs, uh, my priorities are are in line with yours, but but still it's uh running 8s on the street is uh
0: worthy of of a certain amount of respect uh for oh, sure. Oh, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. As a, you know, it's got massive respect from me. Yeah. But whether it's the right sort of vehicle for my for me personally, don't think so.
1: Well, it's not going to be number 39 in the collection, that's for sure. No. Nah well it has uh, again been such a treat to have you on the show thank you for sharing your time the car looks amazing one day please can I drive one for like 10 minutes
0: you're going to have to because that engine forget whether it's 50 or 33 it really makes no difference you know when we started this with Cosworth uh, four years ago um, we hoped and I didn't say it was I said we hoped this would be the best road car engine so far now that i've driven 50 a lot i can absolutely categorically state it is the best road engine i've ever driven and by a long long way it's just the talk not so much the revs funny enough and the sound those are brilliant but the torque delivery is just unreal
1: which it just one more question before you go it it's very hard to make a very high performance engine that revs to 12 and 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 makes crazy power but is it harder to make an engine do that or do that and also be civil enough to just use as a car? Yep.
0: That's the trick. That's the trick. I mean, in the old days when I was growing up, you had power and revs or torque. Yeah. Back in the 60s. Absolutely. There was nothing in between. You know, you either had a slower-running engine would make bags of torque or you did you know a a sort of 60s Ferrari that was a bit chuggy low down but once it got over five or six it came alive this engine is just mind-boggling i find myself driving 250 through villages and fifth, you know um at at 1800 revs and and when you want to floor it to overtake somebody you don't even change gear
1: it's a, I mean it's amazing and, and I imagine with modern radiators, modern electronic fan controls, modern Uh, You know, airflow monitoring, things like, you know, overheating in traffic or idling in in a hot climate for hours on end are
0: are no longer a concern, whereas maybe they were in the 70s or 80s. Not not at all, yeah. And we've driven this thing in Sweden for a month, and we've driven it in Abu Dhabi in summer on a racetrack, you know, so we've done done the extremes. Is there a snow tire fitment? Uh, No, there's a winter tire fitment. Okay. That's
1: probably a good time, too ice tracks <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well gordon it's been such a pleasure thank you for uh, for joining us once again i hope to see you uh in pebble beach in a few months
0: indeed you will um, yes. and if
1: if you're going to be stateside uh before then by all means uh have your people call my people and uh let's get an in-studio show or something or a drive up the hill maybe okay
0: thanks matt and it's been a pleasure
1: Thank you very much. Thank you to our patrons for asking great questions today. We appreciate it, and we will see you all next week.